Poetry Night rings through. Just go ahead and you should be able to just snap it in. Don't don't slide it in. Just snap it in. Yeah. Oh, snappy. How's that? Oh, I think we got it. Freaking duct tape, everybody. Everybody. Mr. Mike McGee. Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm wearing this thing. Uh, so I have this thing with M's and threes because they're my jam. And, uh, and this, you can't see it. You should come up to me after my set uh, during, you know, like when there's a break or something and come and look at this thing. Uh, it's incredible. It's, it's, I just connected it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and, and, and take it off my, my pendant here. Logo. I have a logo. Okay, and it's 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 it's, it's three 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 is my logo because um, my name is Michael Matthew McGee and uh, and you know so M's kind of look like threes and blah 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 what have you. Well, Tom Day it's half of evil. It's half of evil. Tom Davis carved the three 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 into an antler and attached uh, a Scrabble tile, which is like one of my tattoos is an M three tattoo, and with my colors and and. Uh, just like he made this gorgeous thing. It's a magical item, you guys. It's from Hawaii. Kauai. That's amazing. Uh, bathed in moonlight and alcohol and river water. And it lived in your bra. Yes. So, so starting at $75. No. Thank you. Yeah, it's full moon, guys. That's right. I'm a little extra hairy tonight. <clears throat> uh, all right. I recently sat down at my desk to write about some bullshit feelings. I looked through my bedroom window to the massive dark green pine trees for inspiration. A spider was waiting for me on the window screen, blocking a negligible portion of my view, but still noticeable. Clinging to the inside mesh against the blue sky above Oregon, it shouted to me, Shit is going down, McGee! Really? Open your eyes, man! You're gonna have to clean it up! I couldn't see the exasperation in its face, but I could hear it as clear as a human voice in the same room. I was stunned, flabbergasted, scared! My double take confirmed its presence. This spider was definitely shouting at me. I stood up and stared at it. Across my mind flashed visions of all the possible shits going down. Like the ongoing unchanged racism throughout all of white America and the perpetuation of the false notion that racism is dead, right? Right? Uh, women's rights and lives being traded for a hearkened bygone era of complacency and oppression. <laughs> uh, the attempt to legislate against love and limit the ability for some to express it however they wish. Uh, the death of our oceans and lack of media coverage. Uh, changes in our climate. Uh, the gap in wealth, wealth and poverty. Military spending over education. The mere existence of more than two personal pronouns. I mean, what are my roles in these? What can I do to help? 
How can I stop all the wrong shit from going down? How can I be impactful without seeking credit? Just then, I realized that I was screaming this so loud that neighbors gawked at me from the street below. This gray little spider stared at me through all of this. He understood me. I was shocked that I was communicating with a spider. This is why it approached me. He knew I'd give a shit. He peered into my soul and opened his mouth. I grew nervous, but awaited his instructions. Yes, spider. Dude, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I'm hella wasted. I just shit all over your windowsill. And I just wanted you to be aware of it, because you're going to have to, like, clean it up, man. (laughs) Whiskey shits, dude. (laughs) But the other shit, you can't fix it all, man. But I think maybe if you want to, you could help. But what the fuck do I know? I'm just a drunk-ass spider. (laughs) And that's when I realized that maybe we are all just drunk-ass spiders. Thank you. So... I got I got a bunch of new stuff tonight, you guys. Oh, did you guys see my uh, my Scott is my barista sticker right here? I'm proud of that one. Um, all right, so uh, I'm gonna try. Uh, I'm gonna read you guys a few things. Oh, did this die? No. All right, hold on. It's it, I know, right? Google Drive back. Oh no, no, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Okay. All right, I did it. See the magic, the magic item. I agree. Super yay. Like four yays. It's a multitude of yays. So while that's loading, I want to tell you guys a story real quick. Uh, the other day I was hanging out at this bar uh, in town uh, somewhere in on the West Coast. And, um, <clears throat> uh, you know, and I'm just feeling lonely. You know, I just like, I just need to jot down some lonely stuff on some cocktail napkins, you know. Just jot it down, get extra lonely, feel the loneliness, realize that I'm alone in the world, that no one ever wants to be near me. And this woman comes in, right? And she she sits right next to me, and the bar is empty. Bear in mind, I'm the only person there. It's happy hour, and I'm the only one dealing with the fact that I'm not happy right now. And this woman sits right next to me. She orders the same thing I'm drinking. I'm like, what is going on, right? And she starts chatting with me. I'm like... Why are you bothering me? You know, like, <laughs> all these other seats. <laughs> and, uh, and so after a few moments, it finally dawns on me. She's like, she's, she's, she's flirting with me. She's kind of hitting on me, you know? And I'm thinking, why? You know? And, uh, and so finally, uh, as she's about to get up and leave, I'm like, I should engage her. This is, this is just wrong of me, you know? And so, uh, as she gets up to leave, I'm like, wait, wait, where are you going? She's like, well, I have to get home and feed my cat. I'm like, Your cat is fine. It'll survive a night without you. She says, no, he can't be alone overnight. I tell her I feel the exact same way all the time. And I actually have something to offer the world. (laughs) She says, her cat is special. It sounds like he's saying Reno whenever he meows. Reno? In Reno, Nevada? The second worst city in the second worst state of the union? Really? Florida. Anyhow. Uh, <laughs> all the time. So I imagine a cat saying Reno. 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 
Nevada. All the time. As in every time it meows, it sounds like Reno. No, only every once in a while, like when he's really craving attention or needs to be brushed. Oh, I say. Oh. And I tell her that when I'm craving attention, I remove my shirt, exposing my Catherine Hepburn-shaped birthmark. And I make it talk. Hello, everybody. Got any more tequila? I think it's from a movie. I'm not sure. Look, lady, by now you must realize I'm human and I have needs and I can love you. I can actually love you. I'm not jumping the gun here. It's just that I am capable of real human love, not this programmed feline, you're the keeper of the food, so I guess I'll stick around bullshit. Does your cat have the ability to make an entire room laugh without it having anything to do with its own failure? No! No! Can your cat use a QWERTY keyboard? No! No! Can your cat code even a modicum of HTML? No! No! Can your cat Photoshop images of you to look like you have a handlebar mustache? I don't think so! I can do half of those things while I have soup cooking on the stove. See these thumbs? Do you? Do you? Because these mean I win. You're right, she said coyly. And we boned right there at Taco Bell. Nine months later, we had eight kittens. They run my website now. Thank you. Before before I continue on, I would like to say, yes, that is a first draft. And uh, the, it took me 20 minutes to write it. And I'm not kidding. 18 of those minutes were spent trying to figure out what the cat was going to say. So, ooh, he could say marijuana. That's controversial. Um, I have this chat book here. It's called Sweet Nuggets. It comes with an album called Sweet Nuggets. It's a download code that you download on the internet where there are downloads. Um, these are uh, these are five dollars. So uh, talk to Tom Davis uh, during the break. The first ten they sell are five dollars. And uh, you know what? I'm just going to keep them five bucks because I love you guys. So you get a book and an album, um, and there's just fun stuff in there. It's 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 a neat little book. It's Sweet Nuggets. Um, and uh, yeah, I love you guys. You guys are amazing. So deal with it. Um, can I, okay, so this one, because, because you guys, a lot of you guys know me and you know, like, ah, no, never mind. I don't, there's this one I have, it's really weird, but there's something about it. I'm, I hate the B word. I hate it. I have four younger sisters, uh, and they'll say it to each other every once in a while. They'll call each other the B word. And I have a really hard time saying it. Um, and I found this poem that I wrote about five years ago that, uh, is, Full of the B word on purpose. This is called For the Boys. Just bear with me on this one, all right? Just bear with me on this one. Bitches and hoes, bitches and hoes, bitches and hoes. Mothers and daughters, mothers and daughters, mothers and daughters. Bitches and hoes in the library, bitches and hoes on a lovely picnic. Mothers and daughters in the mortuary, mothers and daughters in the clinic. Bitches and hoes in the voting booth, bitches, bitches and hoes debating the crap. Mothers and daughters pulling the rotting tooth, mothers and daughters freebasing the crack. Bitches and hoes vying for their place in the workforce, bitches and hoes standing up for others. Mothers and daughters lying in line at welfare, mothers and daughters laying down with anybody. Bitches and hoes are pretty, mothers and daughters are not on TV. Bitches and hoes know what you want, mothers and daughters know what you need. Bitches and hoes, mothers and daughters. Bitches and hoes, mothers and daughters. Bitches and hoes, mothers and daughters. Bites and holes, moths and dots, bits and pieces, more and more. Love the loveless. See what you say. Say what you see. See what you've done. We are done for. Thank you. 
so I, I, I really, I'm, uh, I, I sent a, I'm not going to read this now because uh, it's, it's too long. It's a parody. You guys know uh, Shake the Dust by Anise Mojgani. So I wrote a parody called, I'm not even going to say it, but I'll do it outside later on just so that we can keep the night moving. But I will do it outside if you stick around, but remind me, because uh, I may forget. Um, uh, but uh, I want you guys to hear it, but it's just, it's not for this, it's not for this set, because um, uh, I love you guys too much. Somebody asked me for a poem, uh, and I do want to share that with you, uh, but uh, I want to do, yeah, I'll do that one now. Uh, it's, uh, it's an old poem I wrote. We're going to go kind of go back in time a little bit to the year 2000 when I worked at Walgreens uh, Graveyard. <clears throat> it's called Dirty Dimes. $50 bills, maybe even hundreds, but I really don't care. Retail's a whore that never sleeps, constantly screwing everyone that comes in for one kiss, and I'm her pimp, selling off everything she has and everything she is. Aisle number three is full of Easter candy, like a pink and, blo- pink and blue war ditch, a bunker of war where I'm sure the soldiers here are children armed with cap guns and silly string, or at least I assume they are because I'm sure I'm asleep when it all takes place. This job is bullshit. Whether I'm flipping burgers or telemarketing some cheap toxic product, it's all the same. This is not what I want to do with my life. My new boss watches me intently and follows behind me, rearranging the things that I placed on the shelf incorrectly. I'm three years old again and I could get used to it. My boss has been here for three years. I've never held a job for that long. I I just can't devote that much time to someone else's money. I mean, it is my money. Every two weeks, I do get a paycheck that I'm hoping will someday set me free. But in order to stay sane at 3 o'clock in the morning, I, I come up with a game. I do this at every job I've ever had. And this game at Walgreens on this night is I count the customers in tens. And every tenth customer is technically responsible for part of my next paycheck. It's not an exact science, but it keeps me sane and sweating, and this is when I start to care. Customer number seven makes his way to my register. He's a brawny bastard who looks like he just woke up from a respectful nap. He asks for some instant film at 1.46 a.m. because he doesn't want a stranger to develop his pictures. He drives a cab in the middle of the night while I clean my store. He shows me pictures of his women, large-breasted 30 and 40-something passengers who are just drunk, horny, and married. The nipples in the photos are clearer than my thoughts on the actual situation. I asked to see some of his photos, and now I regret it. These women might have children somewhere, and I probably went to high school with them. Customer number eight makes her way to my register 20 minutes later. She's a tired single mother who works late to raise her kids. She seems proud, even though she still has her Denny's apron on and a name tag that reads Old Maid, and then Tina above it in real ink. She wears it well. I'm just the guy ringing up her bleach detergent, toothpaste, milk, cereal, and children's cough medicine. Her kid must be sick. I got to pretend I don't care. She leaves with a smile on her face, and I secretly hope that I put it there. I go back to my aisle to work on the shelves in front of me. I wait for the bell on the counter. I glide, I hear the bell. I glide past the peanut brittle and crayons, and I head toward my cash register where I see two women, barely 30, waiting for me to do my job. And they watch my slow legs as I reach them. My eyes are drawn to the items that they're buying and then to the skin of the woman closest to me. She's wearing a man's dress shirt, completely unbuttoned and no bra. The skin I see is her stomach and her chest. I can see her entire right breast, so I look away ashamed. 
I'm forced to look at her face now, which is far too thin to be healthy. A bandana squeezes her bald head tightly. Her eyes bulge like those of surprise. Her sunken face looks like that of a former beauty queen. She stares at the products as I ring them up, and I try not to stare at her small breasts every time her shirt swings open, because I'm realizing now they'll probably be underground next Christmas. Her friend stands behind her clean and strong. Maybe she's her lover. Maybe they're related. But none of the items will tell me who the friend is. They only say that the exposed woman is ill and she bleeds from sores, wounds. She's afflicted with something. And none of these items have brand names, so that means they are poor, together. And they're about to give me their money. I want to strike up a conversation, something to get my mind away from this apparent mortality. Maybe she has AIDS. Maybe she shared the wrong needle with the wrong person. But then again, every... Every dying human looks like a junkie at some point. Her friend looks at her with worry, cementing all of my assumptions. She is her guardian, the one who will watch and is watching her die, the one who will pick out her cheap coffin and the only one willing to bury her. And there is so much love between these two, and I'm taking up way too much of their precious time, so I speed up the process and I bag their stuff as quickly as possible, and I hit the total button, $3.67 in low-grade medical supplies. Maybe these items will help her live another day. I should just give them to her. But then I'd be drawing attention. I'd be another man reminding a living woman that she's dying. Just to sleep sometimes. Her friend reaches into her pocket for some money, but the dead woman beats her to the counter with a handful of dimes. Dirty dimes. The kind collected in a cup on a street corner. Downtown dimes discarded by uptown businessmen and women who aren't dying this very minute. If everything would just freeze before me. I could let loose and cry and not disturb their shopping experience. But something deep down inside of me in a place people rarely visit in public situations. There are picket signs being held up by my guts that read, let her see how you feel right now and you're just jealous because she gets to leave. Back in the real world, my pity turns to anger as she picks lint out of the change on the counter. I'm upset that this nice woman is so ill, but she's cracking smiles at me with big teeth through thin lips. She knows I know she's dying. She may be content with it, but I can't allow her to be a stranger anymore. I watch her count the dimes off the counter and into her bony little hand, and I count along with her because I hope she comes up short. The feeling's so strong, I wish I had said it out loud. I take 36 dimes, and I try not to assume some sort of apathy, but it never works, and these women leave with smiles on their faces that I couldn't have possibly given them. And for the rest of the night, I can't focus on shit, but I make sure that Every customer after them gets a dirty dime in their change, and I try not to cry because Walgreens doesn't pay you for that sort of thing. It is 3 a.m. I'm pretty tired of trying not to care about people who don't know me. Thank you. Uh, two more poems? Two more? Yeah. Three more? Okay. All right, so then, then I do want to read this one that I wrote recently, uh, very recently. This is one of my newest ones. It's called Before and After, and it, it's kind of an experiment because it's a bit more... Pro it's not my... I know I fixed it first. Hello? Oh, thank you. All right, you just, just give me a wave, boys. Just give me a wave. I'll try not to touch it anymore, but give me a wave. It's hard because I'm a fucking passion poet, you bastard. All right. While searching through an old small trunk in her attic, she finds an old Polaroid camera. Her mother doesn't remember it. 
On a crisp Wednesday morning, the clerk at the camera store is impressed with its age and condition. He pays more attention to the technology he is holding than the biology that handed it to him. He plies her with new batteries, instant film, and flashbulbs. She pays for all of it and wonders why he's not wearing a name tag. He offers her his email address and asks her to bring some of the images to the shop to see what she produces with the incredible device. At home, once all is loaded, it takes her 45 minutes to choose her first subject. It will snow soon, so she stands in the street, captures the house. The camera works well. The colors are more vivid than she'd hoped. She is immediately pleased with her decision. It is so cold out, her head steams and buzzes. She can't tell if her cockatiel likes the flash or the sound of the shutter more, lightning or thunder. She's always liked both. The day after the doctors said the words six to eight months left, she moved back in with her mother. She ate breakfast and dinner together. They ate breakfast and dinner together from that point on. The new year brought new ideas. She rediscovered her front yard and took a picture of it, a dry and gray desert formerly known as Lawn. Only once did she run across and threw a sprinkler in the summer as a child. Her father chided her for wasting water. It is clear now that it will feed her when the season's ripe. She stands in the street with her camera once more just after the last snowfall melts. Soon she plants tomatoes, cucumbers, and kale. In May, she snaps an image of her forgotten bike just before mounting it in her garage. It knew rain the way she knew watching other people at Starbucks. In two weeks, she'll see the muscles in her arms and much less rust. In a month, she'll see the muscles in her legs and the entire city. She snaps an image of her machine, now shiny, fast, and useful. She now has two piles of snapshots growing on her dresser. Before's on the left, after's on the right. On a warm Sunday night, Morris trips a cough in his cage. She snaps an image of him so gray. It is late, but he is a consummate performer. His soul leaves home before the sun rises. On the sunniest Monday there has ever been, she cries and takes one last picture of him, just before she buries him in the tomato desert near the front door. Her mother watches from the porch. In the coming weeks, she'll finish all of the tomatoes and most of the kale. She loves what she now knows. She knows what she loves. Owning not one mirror due to some childhood misinformation, she snaps an image of herself just to know, shoulders up. She had not remembered her smile in that way, nor the cheekbones that gave it context. She smiled a second time, not remembering that she was the first to notice it in a very long time. In the summer, it is too hot to work the garden. With curtains drawn, she places the photographs in an old album, four to a page, before and after, before and after, before and after, before and after. She's exhausted. She thinks about the nameless camera store clerk and decides to show him all of the pictures decides that he likely won't see the growth beyond the pictures, within the pictures, but then again, maybe. She packs the photo album in a box and leaves it open. She writes explicit instructions, including a shipping address. In the morning, the paramedics watched as her mother got one last good picture of her. Thank you. All right. This is not my poem. Uh, this is a, I'm just covering this. Uh, it's one of my favorites. These are my last two poems. Uh, I love you guys so much. I'm in Bellingham for another few days. Let's make some hang, guys. Um, <clears throat> this is a poem by a gentleman named Bob Hickok. It blows my mind out. Um, it's called Hard Work is Its Own Reward. Bob Hickok. February in Detroit. A kid goes door to door asking if people would like their snow washed. One man looks at the corpse of winter at the edge of his drive and replies, How much? The kid stares up and to the left, shifting his mind into calculator mode. 
A million dollars, he says finally, remembering, remembering a TV show in which a man in a purple suit said to a woman wearing nothing but a mink coat, winners aim high. The man feels this is a lot, but is worn down by the assault of grime. How about I promise to save your life one day, the man counters. The kid thinks of all the ways there are to die. Gunshots on Dikindre, gunshots on Woodward, gunshots in the bathroom, and agrees to this unspecified moment of deliverance. The snow, when he's done, seems fresh fallen from the machine of the sky. The two of them shake hands. I'm your angel now, the man says. The boy wonders if angels are real. They're not, the man says, reading the boy's mind. Nor are these wings, he adds, taking his coat off. Nor are we flying, he says, scooping the boy into his arms and flying away from the shadow of their flying. Thank you. All right. Uh, and I can, I can read the Anise parody. And he just emailed me. He's like, this is dope. So, um, <laughs> Uh, so I can read it to you guys during the break if you guys want to smoke and listen to it. But, um, but yeah, uh, I want to thank Scott Casey uh, and the Black Drop. Uh, it, there, there are very few people in the world who know how to make a building feel like a friend to everyone else. Thank you for that. Um, this is my last piece, uh, and this is for Bellingham. It's called Cassiopeia and Orion Lead Me Home from the Bar. <laughs> Cassiopeia is my favorite constellation because it's in the shape of an M. I love it. All right. Among other things. <laughs> there are two bars I frequent in Bellingham, Washington, and they share a wall. Makes choosing easy. One does wine and candles like a champ. The other is covered in peanut shells. I always visit both in one night. It's less the clientele and more that both establishments have beautiful people in charge of all those bottles. But unrequited love for a bartender is the same as drinking alone, only they're the one getting you drunk and you still pay for it. Liquor has always been a second-place ribbon for me, a parting gift as I walk in the door. I'm generally a runner-up to whoever joins me at the bar first. But tonight I came with two friends. They don't sit as much as they shine. As I pay my tab, I can feel their heat as they hover around the door. I exit, I stumble, and I spin, catching myself in the gaze of my two friends. I look up at them and follow. My eyes drift as I walk ahead of me. I have one and a half mile hike up the hill to my house. Most of the time, I remember my way home sometimes. Tonight's sky is perfect. Someone graffitied lit charcoal across the aftermath of a squid fight. It's the top left corner of a U.S. flag on the highest definition. I'll dream of bartenders and constellations once I land soft horizontal. But this hike has me singing out loud to my iPod. Hey, little girl, is your daddy home or did he go and leave you all alone? <laughs> I got a bad desire. <laughs> but it is and will remain a pipe dream. It's my two friends who are on fire, making sure I get home tonight. Were I to fall over and pass out on my way home, the beauty of Bellingham is that I would simply land on the beauty of Bellingham. I would likely be awakened by the nuzzling of a deer. Cassiopeia and Orion would watch. It's all we ever do with each other. We watch them, they burn. We watch and watch, they burn. I would wake up and say, Oh dear. Then the deer would click and snort, and that would notify the other local deer that my scent wasn't danger, but just another hairy dude who's never actually cut down a tree. 
And this deer would look to my friends ahead of us and say, This one shall pass, but do not touch anything along the way. I would rise and buckle like a newborn fawn and continue on my way home. I would be the cowardly lion in this forest. Only by cowardly, I mean drunkenly, and by lion, I mean McGee. I will get home and wish I weren't alone. Then I will make a snack that I would never eat in the afternoon and fall asleep with the grace of a drunken lion. Thank you, guys. That was the mighty Mike McGee, everybody. This is basic civil defense information from the Department of Defense that will be used in your community. If the United States should be attacked with nuclear weapons, and you should take protective action immediately, the attack warning system, find out from your local civil defense office. This is basic civil defense information from...